What's up, what's up, what's up? Welcome to my podcast, Lights, Camera, Cash, Action, where you can tune in and get that uncut and uncensored truth on how you can become a successful director of your life. My name is Cash Lawson, and in my professional career, I'm referred to as a psychiatric hospital director. First, I'd like to start with wishing all of the fathers of America a happy Father's Day. The vision of this podcast was created to connect with other black men in America In the professional world, being a successful director, you are provided with many tools, resources, and trainings to establish you as a successful director. However, being a director in our personal life, we're not necessarily provided with those same tools. What I mean by this is that there was never a class that we could take that would assist us in being men or training, certification, or really any resources that was available to us to be a successful man in America. So I wanted to put this podcast together to provide men with a platform to share some of those tools and resources that we've experienced, created and maintained over the years that has contributed to each of us being the director of our own life and doing it successfully. So before we jump into today's podcast, I just wanted to take a few minutes to kind of introduce myself to you guys. I am a husband to Erica Lawson, who is my co-director, and I'm the father to my son, Jackson Carter Lawson, who is our star. I'm the son to Jesse Lawson Jr. and Sandra Davis. I'm the brother to three three siblings. I have one sister and two brothers. I'm an uncle. I'm a grandson. I'm a cousin. I'm a friend to a very, very successful group of people. And I will break down in different series to come how I have been able to navigate being the director of my life with all the different roles and titles that I've been blessed to carry. Uh, My educational background stems from me obtaining my bachelor's degree in criminal justice and a master's degree in social and community services. So when it comes to being the director of my life and how I've been able to successfully do this, a great deal of that has come from the raising and teachings of my parents, more specifically to the life lessons, conversations, examples that were instilled in me by my father. Uh, Many black men in America are not provided with an opportunity to be raised by a black man who they identify as their father. This has been shown through statistics, to have a very negative impact on the Black American community. However, many Black men have been very successful without having the support of a father and being raised in single-parent households by mothers. Through this podcast, we will have guests that will join us each week that have been dealt different hands of life and how they've been able to overcome those obstacles and how they have been put in their uh, path while still being a successful director of their life. So it is with great honor for me today that our first guest on my very first podcast is my father, Jesse Lawson Jr. Uh, My father is a retired assistant warden from the Department of Corrections, where he dedicated 29 years of his life to protecting and serving our community. Uh, My father's role as a warden demanded for him to have the skill set to be the director of many employees, incarcerated individuals, while also directing our family of six. Uh, Many people often ask, How was my father able to put four kids through college where each one successfully completed their educational goals by obtaining bachelor and master's degrees while meeting the demands of his professional career? So I put together a few questions that I'm going to jump into today with my dad just to see what guidance and advice he can share with the younger black men of America as myself on ways in which we can all continue to be a successful director of our life while raising our families. So. Dad, being that you were raised by a single black woman, what about that made you be so determined to be a presence in each one of our life when it came to raising us and wanting to break the cycle of you having an absent father? Well, first of all, it's about correcting things. And as you can see, like my son said, that's what I did for. In fact, let me correct him right now. (laughs) 
30 years and six months. And when you be in the business of what I was in, working in the Department of Corrections 30 years and six months, you've seen things that you never wanted your sons or even my daughter to go through. And through God's grace and mercy, and I'm always saying God's grace and mercy, uh, having the mother I had because I just wanted to make sure that they got the right things in life. And they was what I started out to say, they were boys, which was going to become young men, which in time going to become men. So motto always had been people don't raise. I don't think people raise their sons and to be men or daughters to be young ladies like during my time. My mother, she's always told me there's nothing that I couldn't do. So my whole take was to be always to talk to him, be honest with him and show him things that the do's and the don'ts. And I always have told him the truth about anything, everything. Their biggest thing was if they wanted me to promise something, don't never promise your kids or anybody something that you can't deliver on. You know, and that was my biggest thing, even working in the Department of Correction. I never promised an inmate or a convict something I couldn't deliver, I couldn't do. But with my boys, I always tried to teach them and tell them the truth about anything and everything. And they know I, I, I was real firm about everything I did. If I said something, they knew that I don't come back. I don't come back and say this thing to people a second time. And that's the way I was raised because they was going to become men one day. So when I told them to do something, they knew when they didn't do it, it's going to always be a consequence. Brother, it's going to be a consequence, whatever you don't do, because any time you don't do what you're supposed to do, when you're supposed to do it, that's a consequence. Whatever that might be, it is what it is. So it wasn't so much a, a, a stern or hard hand or whooping behind us. It was just a fight that there was a consequence. Now, whatever you want that consequence to be, it's whatever I told you to do. And that's the main thing in my life is always keep your word to your children. If you tell them something, keep your word. Hell or high water, keep your word to your children because, see, they're always watching us. Whatever we say out of our mouth, they're always taking in heed to what we're saying and they're always watching us. So, and as far as getting the education, I know how my education started out in my life, you know. And again, I say, something take the mind to me is when I was young like that, I didn't really like going to school. I used to play hooky every day, every day, because back in that time, teachers beat your butt if you didn't know something. And in 2007, I looked over a place I was a colonel at, day correction in Miami. And I thought to myself, when I was about eight years old, I remember a formatory come to get me, juvenile place come to get me because I had played hooky so many days and they felt like my mother couldn't do anything with me. But I had a strong uncle who was very successful at that time. And he stepped in and he stopped that from happening. And uh, I finally eventually told him the reason why I didn't want to go to school. Eight-year-old kid, terrified. One thing, your kids can't be terrified because when kids are terrified, they keep things inside of them that you'll never know until they get older. But I got a whooping from my mom that eventually I told her the reason, my uncle, why I didn't want to go to school. So they they nipped that. And from that day on to this, throughout my whole entire career, I, I, I loved at school. But when I was standing that day in 2007, I was just thinking to myself, I had about 2,000 inmates down there, and I was standing up like over a hill looking over this big place, and I thought to myself, Jesse Lawson, thank God for your mama, because if you didn't have the mama that stepped in and an uncle that stepped in at that time, you could have easily been one of these kind of people. And what I've always thought about, how many black young men 
that is incarcerated because they didn't have that certain person stepping up for them in their life and stuff. And I say to myself, and I say all the time, God, you already had a plan for me. I didn't see this plan, but you had a plan for me. So what I say when it comes to the success, it has nothing to do with Jesse Lawson. It all has to do with God who created this heaven and earth, and he had a plan. And when he have a plan for you, most times it's a good plan. All we got to do is want to follow that plan. And as long as we follow that plan, we're going to be all right. And sometimes things ain't going to go the way you want them to go. But when I was working, a lot of times I made it my business that, and I had two jobs, hell or high water. I was never going to allow no job to overtake me where I wasn't going to be able to watch my boys play football, basketball, t-ball, be in different concerts, nothing else. Because for a good little while, it was just in the, my, me and my two boys, before my other two kids came into the picture, was my four-month-old son, Cash, who was four-month-old, and my five-year-old son, Bryson. And what my take was, you know, I know I had a hard road to deal with, being a single father, but I just knew that if I just do what I supposed to do and pray, and having the type of mother and a sister that I had to help me out with certain things, especially with my boys and stuff. But the thing is, you just got to always continue to pray because God will make a way out of nowhere. And, I, and that's what he did for me. I look back at the 30 years and I still work today. I work with juveniles now. In fact, during that time, I had the two jobs working with the juveniles and working at the prison. What I tell the young juvenile boy kids right now, young black boys, you don't want to go behind the other fence. The fence that you're behind now, this is a small, minute fence. The other fence, those people don't care nothing about you. When I say they don't care nothing about you, that's a different world because time has changed, totally has changed. But behind this fence, this small fence, where we as black men are trying to show you all and talk to you all, because behind the other fence is more of the Caucasian people behind that fence than behind this small fence. And it's like a representation that you're not going to get behind that fence that you're going to get behind the small fence. So I tell the kids all the time, I love you. I'm going to treat you just like you're my son. I don't pet them in there. I talk to them. I show them love. And they know it's one thing about Mr. Lawson. Mr. Lawson loves us. And we, no doubt about how you feel about us. So my take is, as a black man, you got to get them ready for what's going to come. You know, we just had this horrible experience here with George Floyd, you know, about three weeks ago. And every time I look at that, tears run down my eyes because for a man to take another man's life, that is something that only God, and I say every time I think about it, in George Floyd's mother's womb, even he didn't know he was going to become a symbol, that he was going to change the whole world. And I'm not comparing George Floyd to Jesus Christ. But in a sense, when I think about it, Jesus Christ had to come to change the world. We had a Martin Luther King had to come and change the world. George Floyd, nobody knew George Floyd's name except for the people that knew him and friends. But now can you imagine the whole world, international, know George Floyd? So we're hoping and praying that in time that this world going to change, things going to get better. But I'm hoping and praying that my grandsons don't have to deal with what we're dealing with now. I thought it wasn't going to be around with my sons, which now we call the millennials. 
but they're a different breed than what I was. They're more braver. They're more smarter. And they ain't taking no S from nobody. Mm -hmm. I can tell you that now. So when you think about what happened with George Floyd and you think about you raising three black sons and now you have two black grandsons and all the godchildren that you have that's young black men as well. When you think about raising black men in this society that we're living in now, what crosses your mind when you think of watching Jackson and Bryce and us raising these, these the new generation of the losses? How does that impact you now thinking of what would we need to do different with educating and raising them as what you did when you were raising the three of us? Let them know in the beginning, like I told y'all then, the world don't, the world is a very cruel world. People going to hate you and you ain't going to know why they hate you. People going to do things to you that they shouldn't do. And not we're just talking about white people. We're talking about black people. We're talking about people in general. But you always try to treat people with kindness. No matter how bad they treat you sometimes, you try to treat them with kindness. But even if when sometimes when kindness don't work, you just got to step out of people's way. My mom always told me when you find, when you truly find out who people really are, you start handling them with a long hand on a spoon. In other words, like with Jackson and, and Bryce coming through and with you all, the difference is I feel with Jackson and Bryce, they're going to be much smarter because I can see that in these two grandsons of mine now as far as on computers and stuff at their age. But even more so is that they're going to have to listen, be very respectful. And in being respectful, to understand the law is one thing my uncle Jr. used to tell me all the time. Ignorance of the law is your own fault. So know the law, understand the law. And when you run into those type of people, and you're going to run into them, they're going to run into them because... That racist stuff ain't going to never go nowhere. It's going to always be a bad cop. They're going to always be bad people because even my son, my son is a, is a police officer, you know? And what I tell him, I talked to him last, but when this first happened, I asked him a question. What kind of policeman do you think you are? What do you mean by that, Dad? Just like the question say, what kind of policeman do you think you are? Good, fair, what? He said, I think I'm a fair one. Okay. As long as a man is fair, treat people with the same respect that he want to be treated, then I promise you, God is going to always look out for you. And sometimes we go through certain things and we think about certain things, but with Jackson and Bryce, what we're going to teach them one thing, that is to be a, a young man, to be a man, to always stand be a man. Because see, everybody's not going to always go the way you want them to go. So you got to always stand up right is right. And I've been through that in my life, especially in the Department of Correction. They used to feel like I was an inmate level. But my total take was, hell what you think. I wasn't going to let you treat a black, a white, Hispanic, or nobody, no man in him. Just because you got the power and the say-so over their life, that some people felt like they was animals, that they were lower than low. My mom always taught me, God sits high and look low. And see, when I lay down, and Jesse Lawson lay down, and my day come, and my day going to come, every man, everybody on this earth going to meet their maker one day. So when I lay down and my eyes closed for the last time, I know when I stand before the master, I know in my heart I didn't treat any man bad or mistreat him because I had the say-so or the power of their life. And that's what's really the problem right about now is 
When people think they have the power over another person's life, they forget that that could possibly be them in that same predicament. So what I truly want to teach my grandsons and knowing that their father going to teach them the same thing I taught them, my daughter going to teach her children the same thing when they do have a kid, treat people with respect. To hell what their positions are, you ain't going to never be too high or too low that you should not treat another human being because that is a human being. So, and that being said, I just want to let them know that you got to treat people with love and respect. Most of all, what respect, because that's just my take. So let me ask you this. When you think about when we were growing up, we watched you. You always maintained. I can, my entire childhood, I remember you having two jobs until I was in college. I think you, you didn't stop having two full-time jobs until my sophomore year of college. So how were you able to do all of that, maintain two jobs, your professional career was taking off. You was moving forward. You was getting promotions after promotions. You reached the top of your, you went through every single rank in the Department of Corrections to the highest position that you could get to at that prison. How were you able to do that and also maintain being an amazing father and not allowing us to lack your presence by maintaining your professional role and being a father? How you were able to balance all of that? <laughs> Why are you saying that, Doug? Because Sometimes I wonder how it went down, but I had to figure out in my brain with you guys, y'all play sports. So I had to be home at a certain time to be able to see the sports. And when I was on night shift, I had to sleep, go to the other job and do what I had to do there. But I was not going to let nobody dictate to me. I, I could have been a system warden. I could have been a warden. I could have been anything I was a captain for 13 years. I could have been a captain of all in position promotions long before that. But in order to do that, I was going to have to move. I was going to have to be away from my family. And that wasn't going to happen. They say God first, family, and then job. And that's just how I always have felt in my life. God, family, because promotions and all that don't mean anything. When I look back, see, because what I tell you, and I keep saying this, you might hear me say this whole podcast, Boy, whatever God got for you, God going to give it to you. You're going to get what God got for you. And as long as you keep that in the forefront of everything that takes place in your life, it's going to happen for you. See, when I didn't get no promotion because I didn't put in for him, it was more so wanting to stay around my son, my daughter, my wife, my friends. But if I'd have been gallivanting around a career, a career going to be there. But I enjoy the fight that Y'all being able to say dad a daddy, me being there and seeing y'all grow up all the time, every day, that was way more important than the money, the professionalism, because I made a decent, decent living as a, a captain and different things like that there. So you just got to be able to, what is, what is the most important thing to you in your life? That's what it's all about. Mm -hmm. And I hope that you get this. God first, family second. Just don't say it out your mouth. So if you're a father, absentee, absent father, you better get back in your children's lives because, see, what you have the power to do as a father. See, one thing about black young men is one thing that a woman, being a woman, because my mama was a woman and then some more. But can you imagine being a father that your son can emulate and see what a man is all about? Because your voice carries a different, different tone. 
You standing up tall and he's seeing what a man, not guessing. A woman going to do everything she possibly can. Because like I said, I had an amazing mama. I'm telling you, when I say I had a, an amazing mama, because mm-hmm. <laughs> when I say she didn't play, she mm-hmm. 87 now. But I tell her all the time, you ain't like that the way you is with your grandchildren, the way you are, you was with me. <laughs> she could leave me in the house by myself, and I was a senior high school. And buddy, when I tell you, I, I, I <laughs> but when she go to work, you wouldn't about think about slipping no girls and no bike doing all no, cause boy, let me tell you, if she came back home, and my fear was <laughs> she put the fear in me, even when she wasn't there. And that started out being a little boy. So do you think it's necessary that your child should have a level of fear of their parents? It ain't so much a fear. They, we, gonna, we ain't going to say it's going to be fear. Because, see, when people say, oh, your children couldn't, shouldn't fear you, they should have a certain reverence about you. But at the same time, break it down to black terminology, it's fear. <laughs> because one thing about us, mm-hmm. if I don't fear you, I don't see you. You got it. If there's no consequence, I don't see you. Oh, yeah. Woman or man. It's like my little grandson, Jackson. My <laughs> wife can be in here talking to him. Jackson, stop that, Jackson. Jackson, keep right on doing what Jackson do. But when I come in, I say, hey, boy, stretch your behind down before I break you up. <laughs> Jackson, a whole country. Let me tell you something about that little two-year-old, that little, he ain't two, he's 20 months old. Mm-hmm. But he hear in that voice. He hear that commandment in that voice. And the same thing I see how my son operate with it. So what I take is this. The way my mama raised me, that's how I tried to raise my children. And it panned out well. I look at the crazy school. Kids don't fear nobody no more because there's nobody, as these people always saying, y'all use this terminology, a village raise a child. Yep. That ain't never been nothing but the God him true. Because, see, Miss Sally could tear your behind up. Mr. Joe could tear your behind up. And so, and Miss Sally didn't tear you up because she didn't like you. Miss Sally told you up because it's like people, like y'all talking about the satellites in the sky <laughs> and people looking down and seeing what you're doing. Hell, I was like a satellite because everybody in the neighborhood knew you. <laughs> yep. Those were satellites. Kids don't fear people today for the simple fight. Who's the fear? We can call 911 on our mamas and dads. Yeah. So, that's why they are like they are. And we're not talking to them. Mm-hmm. We got to listen to them. But now I'm going to have the last word when it's all said and done. And when I'm thinking having the last word, I hope I'm telling you the last word. I'm going to give you my version as my child. And I'm going to listen to you. But one thing I, I, I watched with y'all guys was this. When y'all were little boys, you got treated as little boys. When y'all became young men, my whole everything had to change because now I'm talking to young men. Now that y'all have became men, I talk to y'all like y'all are men. And the first thing I say, y'all, when I get ready to say something to you and educate you about anything, homeboy, let me tell you, I love you to death, but listen what I'm telling you, because you're going to do what you want to do. But let me, I used to always say, yeah. every trick you can trick, I didn't trick it. <laughs> every lie you think about telling me, and y'all know that's why you tell you when y'all are little, young boys, legit, yeah, before me. you even come in here to tell me a lie. <laughs> Every trick you can trick, I done tricked it. Every lie you can get ready to formulate out your mouth, I done told it. So now, think about what you're going to say out your mouth. <laughs> so nine times ten, I'm going to get the truth. Now every time Jamal and Mr. Bronson going to take it to a whole nother level. 
<laughs> they always like to push the envelope. Now they got more tore behind whooping anybody called and they were around, but still, <laughs> they were the two dudes that gonna push that envelope a little bit. Oh yeah. Yeah, those were the envelope pushers. But I look at them now and I say, boy, ain't nobody more successful. And I'm gonna tell you something, I don't care how old they get, man, my boys will tell you, I ain't just saying this him. It's not a time I don't text them. It's not a time that I don't call them and just tell them I love them. I think about them praying for you. Because the bottom line is, just because we think they're men or they're boys, that you don't think they want to hear that from their father or for somebody telling them that they love them, that's how kids get caught up in games because they think nobody don't love them and always be their own man. What would you say your most proudest moment has been when you think about being a director of your life professionally? Like, what was your proudest moment as a professional? Proudest moment? Mm-hmm. Long after I've been retired and guys that fell up under me that came to be colonels and assistant wardens and hop in the department and still called me to just to check on me and remind me about the things I taught them and the sayings I had was this young ladies in the department or guys or, and even more so when I'm in different places and inmates, convicts walk up on me that I don't got their face. Undoubtedly, I must be going to look too bad because they still remember me being Captain <laughs> Lawson, Colonel Lawson, or Mr. Lawson, Sister Warren Lawson. And they walk up to me and, and they see me and they know who I am, but I don't know who they are. And they remind me what institution and what they tell me is, you know, when you was at the facility I was at, man, everybody know when you was there, things were going to be good. Everybody knew it was going to be a calm day. Because you knew how to talk to all of us, officers, inmates, and how you just treated everybody. I think that's about the most mm -hmm. proudest thing in my life, that looking back in my life and my career, and more so like working at this juvenile facility I'm at now up in Ocala, when I say I love it with a passion, I drive every day almost two hours to work, up and back. And no money in the world is worth driving two hours up and back. But for me, it ain't about the money. It's about the joy of going there and seeing these young men and hope and pray that the Bible say God would like everybody to be saved. But some people are not going to be saved. They're just going to go to hell anyway. Ain't nothing you can do about that. Mm -hmm. But for those that could possibly say that you could say something that might change their lives. And I've been in this business with these juveniles to an extent that some of the boys I, I mentored or, or, or dealt with while I was in the system, I have seen them and they've been successful and they, they like to talk about you know, Mr. Lawson, man, what you used to talk to me about, I sure appreciate it. Those are some great moments in your life because, you know, Martin Luther King said, if a man don't have nothing worth dying for, then he's already dead. If a man is on this earth and don't leave some type of legacy, then, you know, what has your life been? So I don't want my life to be in vain. And looking at my sons and my daughter, and other people that I feel like, and they have let me know I've touched their lives, I just thank God. Mm -hmm. And when my day come, I just want to say, I just want him to tell me, come on in, my good and faithful servant. <laughs> That's my whole take. What would you say when you think of being the director of your life in your personal life? What was your most successful moment in your personal life? When I think about each one of my children, <laughs> when I tell people, when I think about each one of my children, Ain't nothing, anybody know Jesse Lawson know how 
how much he loved each and every last. I don't have a favorite son or a favorite daughter, um, and I don't have that icing on the cake, which is my daughter. I always say she was the icing on the cake because she's the youngest and she's the only daughter I have. But each one of them, each one of them is so special to me that when I ask God, Lord, I don't know what I did, what did I do to deserve such a blessing with three sons that went off to college, did what they're supposed to do, daughter, never been in no trouble where I had to go get them out of jail or any of the crazy stuff that happened. And when my friends be talking to me, telling me about my kids and stuff like that, that that, that is awesome. And am I boasting and bragging on them? No. I'm just saying that I thank God. So for me, that is the most personal thing for me. That mm-hmm. That's my whole life. I always have been my four children because I didn't have no daddy to guide me. Like, closest thing I came to and my brother-in-law and my sister. Every game I played in, every game from high school through my high school days, they was there every place I went. My brother-in-law probably closest thing I could say was like a daddy to me. And my sister was always, always have been there. So mm-hmm. these are people in my life that have truly, so my mother helped guide me. So I tried to spew that back on my, on my sons. Okay. So do I really want to take this opportunity to thank you for joining us today and sharing this awesome knowledge with all of the black men of America. We definitely appreciate that. Um, I really want to take a t- minute just to thank all my listeners for joining us today on Lights, Camera, Cash, Action, or you can always depend on getting that uncut truth of how you can be the director of your life. 